Well, today is the beginning of the story and titled The Message in the Beginning. Um, before we read our text and pray, I want to just say a word about creation. The question of how God created is a very important question and worthy of thought and discussion, especially with all that science has come up with. And um, we're not going to cover that today. But if you want to know my take on it, if you want to uh, what what is actually science and what do I believe is myth that is being purported, there is a CD out there called Let's Talk About Evolution, and it is available out there. Or on the website, you can just go to the Let's Talk About, and you can hear my take on all of how God created and reconciling that with Genesis 1. But this morning, we're answering a different question. It's a really important question. It's a question of why God created. Why are there stars? Why are there flowers? Why is there wind? Why is there snow? Why are there all these animals? And then, of course, the big question, why me? Why why do I exist? What was in the heart of God when he made me? And I, I would submit, until you know the answer to that question, it's really hard to be a success in life until you know why you were made. And so that is the question that we're going to look at today. So could we stand in honor of God's word? You've got a Bible, Genesis 1-1. It's right at, it's the first page. Just write it, right? Just open it up. There it is. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. Lord, you love everyone that is here today with an amazingly great love. And there's nothing you want more than for them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt why you created them. You want to burn away every other answer, every other thought, every other confusion and complication, and and you want everyone here to know why you created. Open our hearts to hear your answer. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Point one. God was already here before creation. In the beginning, God. Okay, so God's already here. God's already here before our beginning. God's already here before creation. He's before all things and nothing comes after him. He reveals himself, Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha 
and the Omega says the Lord God Almighty. And these are Greek letters. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. There is no letter before Alpha. God say, there's nothing in front of me. And Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. There's nothing after me. I am, I am before all things. I am after all things. I am God. He says in Isaiah 43, 10, before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. He says to Moses, when Moses wants to know what his name is, how, how, are, how do we think about you? And God says this, I am that I am. He said, it'll be good enough just to say, I am has sent me. What is he saying? I am the eternal reality. I am that which was uncreated. I am, I am. This is the reality, the greatest reality before all of creation. He was always from the beginning, from before our beginning, he was always in three persons. God, the Holy Spirit, we see him right there in Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of the Lord is upon the waters, waiting for the voice of the Lord, waiting to bring into motion that which God orders. We see in verse 26, the, the Trinity talking within itself. Let us make man in our image. The very word for one where he says the Shama of the Jewish Shama of Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord, the Lord God is one Lord. That very word one is the Hebrew word ekad. And it, it means unity. There's another word for one called yakud, which means one and absolutely only one. It means only one. But ikad, which is the word that's used there, means a unity. It is the word used when, when he says to Adam and Eve that, that the two shall become one flesh. It's, the word is ikad. It's, it's a unity, the two becoming one. God has always been in three persons but one God. Jesus is also the Alpha and Omega, Revelation twenty two thirteen. Jesus is also the I Am, John eight fifty eight. Jesus is one with the Father and has been before time. It says in John seventeen five, Father restore to me. Jesus is praying to the Father, restore to me the glory I had before the world was created. So we get to then this question. Oh, let me give you this. John 1, 1, 2, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And this is before the beginning of Genesis 1, 1. He was always God. He was always with God. He always, this unity always existed. So then we come to question two. Why did God create this is so critical that we understand that God did not create to find joy or so that he could be glorified. 
God already possessed within himself perfect joy. He was already fully glorified before he created anything. It's really important that we understand that God did not, God doesn't need us. <laughs> he didn't need us to become happy. He didn't need us so that he could be glorified. Uh, if we reject him and we reject his purpose for us, he does not become less because of that. God is very secure in himself. He's just got a great self-image. So why did he create? And, and the only way we can do it is by giving human examples. I want you to consider with me for a moment a couple in perfect marital bliss. You see why you have to imagine this? Sometimes happily married is an oxymoron. Um, perfect marital bliss, perfectly satisfied, perfectly happy in one another. Perfect unity, perfect love. The reason they would decide to have a child is not because something is lacking in our happiness. The reason they would have a child would be to share their happiness, to share the beautiful thing they have, to share the love they're experiencing. It is the nature of love, isn't it, to want to share it with others. The nature of beauty is to, to share it. So let's take this couple. And so they, they decide to have a child. And then something Something gets created because they're going to have a child. I was just with a, a young couple. They just got married last year and they just found out they're pregnant and had bought a home. And, and now, now all the talk is around the nursery. A nursery is now coming into existence. They've, they've, got, they've got wallpaper for the nursery. They've got special carpet for the nursery. They've got a, a crib, of course, for, the, for, the, for that little baby that's coming. They've, they've got a mobile on top, so the kid's got something to do and to look at during that. We'd hate, we'd hate for that kid to be bored. <laughs> and we got to get one of those swings where you just crank it up, and I don't know how they do it now, but I know that swing was very important for us. You just get on there, you crank that thing up, and just let that kid go. And they, they got, they, you start getting the diaper pail and, the, and diapers and, and all, you anticipate all of these. You get stuffed animals now are all over the place. And it's just got a, the whole nursery. When that baby comes... It, it would be wrong to think of the baby is the greatest thing in the nursery. The baby is the pinnacle of that nursery. No, no, that is absolutely the wrong way to think about it. The whole nursery exists because of the baby. The, 
The nursery would never have come into existence except for that baby. It's not just the best part of the baby. It's the reason. It's, it's not just the best part of the nursery. It's the reason the nursery exists at all. So, why did God make all the stuff he made? It was because of you and I were coming. Now, it's important to understand that the mobile that he put over the crib, we call it outer space. And there's, there's stars, and the, the more they look, the farther they look, the more amazed they are. They've now discovered a galaxy that is 12 billion light years away from Earth. You want to know how many miles that is? That is 12 billion miles Time six trillion. It's going to take more than a few tanks of gas to get there. <laughs> why did God make? Why did God make those stars so far? Why is it so immense? Was His purpose so that we would know how small we are? That's not. That's not the purpose of making the Im- immense, extravagant outer space that God made wasn't to make us feel small. It was for us to know how big he is. And he has placed everything in the nursery. Instead of stuffed animals, I don't know if you've noticed, there's real animals. Instead of wallpaper, we've got sky and grass and flowers and there's beauty. And what God did that we could never do in in a nursery we, we made for our children is he put within creation things that we could learn about him. Creation is filled with beauty. Wherever you see beauty, John Piper says this, all you need to do is follow the beam up to original beauty. Everything God has made that's beautiful, everything you see in another human being that's beautiful, trace it up. Trace that beam up. Every perfect and good gift came from the Father above. You could trace it up to original beauty. God is more beautiful, more, more everything than we could ever possibly grasp. So creation itself is declaring the glory of God. But we, we are the reason he created Okay, why? <laughs> what was he looking for? Well, why do parents have a kid? It's not because they need a worker or they want to control that kid. It's because they want to share their delight. They want to share. They want this child to be to grow up, to be a friend, to be a companion, to be someone that they walk alongside. God made us to walk with him. Do you know what Eden means? Delight. God made Eden to be this place where Adam and Eve would walk in delight with him. But his, his creation of them went beyond the purpose of them just walking with him in the cool of the night where they would have companionship. He actually made a tree 
that had his own eternal DNA in it. And he invited them to eat of that tree. That he would share his eternal life. So they were created for delight and to partake of his eternal DNA. This is called the upper story. This is God's upper story. This is God's, that's why it's called the story, not the stories. There's only one story. This is the upper story by which all the lower stories that are written in this scripture and our own lower story can be interpreted by. There's one upper story that God created us for delight. He created us to walk with him and to share his DNA. That upper story will stay the same. And you and I are going to see in just a moment how committed God is to the upper story. So before we go there, we got to go to point two, which is what happened. I looked out my front door and I don't see Eden. I turned on Fox News and it doesn't look like Eden to me. What happened? The freedom essential for love led to the wrong tree and the wrong DNA. Adam and Eve ate of the wrong tree and the fruit that they experienced of that, the DNA of death that they received was way, way worse than they ever could have imagined. The effects of it were way worse than, than was even possible to grasp. Here's Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So everybody is born, because of Adam and Eve's sin, everybody is born with this DNA called sin. And that, that DNA is eventually going to result in death when you actually sin. If somebody dies before they have even raised the age of accountability, even though they were born with sin in them, um, they, are, they are right with God. The, 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 the kingdom of God belongs to all children. But when we sin, which we will eventually because of our, our, our death DNA, it will lead to death. This is how death has passed to all human beings. And so the Bible says that Adam and Eve had a child and his name was Cain. They had another child later than that uh, called Abel and Abel and Cain. Now you've got both the image of God that has now been broken and you've also got this other DNA called sin that leads to death. And, and there is this selfishness in this DNA and they are both bringing their sacrifice to God and uh, Abel, Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's isn't accepted by God. The Bible doesn't tell us why one was accepted and why one was rejected, but Cain became very, very upset. He became very angry. 
And uh, God came down to him and said, why, why are you upset? If you do what's right, you, you will be accepted. And then he said these very important words. This is Genesis 4, 7. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Sin is crouching at the door and, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. So last month, we had uh, Steve Freitag was our men's breakfast speaker, and he talked. He had all the men that were fishermen identify themselves. And after everybody who was a fisherman identified themselves, he proceeded to insult all of them. <laughs> so you guys are a bunch of deceivers. Huh? What what are you talking about? He said, here's why. Because you are pretending to feed the fish. You're putting food, fish food, and you're pretending like, I got a meal for you. I got a meal for you. And really, you want them to be your meal. (laughs) That you, you pretend to have a meal for them, but you're planning on eating them. You're only using that meal to catch them so that you can eat them. This is what's going on in the world. God doesn't reveal everything at once, but he says, look, he says to this, he says this to Cain, listen, sin is more than sin. There's someone behind sin that wants to eat you. He is crouching behind sin. Sin is a little food. This idea of getting your own justice, of taking that anger, and isn't it going to feel good to kill Abel? Isn't it going to feel good to make your own revenge? And just, that's going to feel good. And he said, watch out. Because there is somebody behind that very temporary pleasure that you're going to have. And it's going to hook you And his desire is to dominate you, to have you. And you must not take that bait. Sin is a very serious thing. But he bit. Here he's got God. He's got an audience with God. He can walk with God. He could have said, God, tell me. You're right here. Tell me why my sacrifice wasn't. Tell me so that I can bring a better. But in his perceived injustice, he didn't want to talk to God. He was angry. And sometimes when we feel like we have, there's an injustice done to us, instead of coming to God and processing our anger with God and finding out, God, what's going on and and what's behind this? and, And instead, we don't want to walk with God. We want to do our own thing. And so he did his own thing. He kills Abel. And then he comes to God and says, I'm, God says, your, your brother's blood is crying out to me. And, and Cain says, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to be killed now. I'm going to be killed. And God says, no, no. No, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to put a mark on you and I'm going to preserve you. And then it says that Cain fled from the presence of the Lord. 
And he went to a land called Nod, which is called, Nod means wandering. He went to the land of wandering. And God says, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to make sure that you don't die. And you, and you say to yourself, why, God? Why? why not? He took Abel out. Why not take him out? He killed for a religious reason. Why not just wipe out all the people that are killing in your name? All the people that are jealous, all the people that are, 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 are operating out of their wound. Why don't, why don't you just take him out, God? Well, you, you get where this is going? He, he'd have to take us all out, wouldn't he? You, you cannot understand the big story and you can't understand what's going on on planet Earth without grasping 2 Peter 3.9. That people are waiting for God's judgment. Where's God's judgment? It says, no, 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 you don't understand. God's not slow concerning his promise of ultimate judgment and ultimate justice. But he is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all to repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he's waiting. He's waiting for Cain to come back, but he doesn't force Cain. And Cain goes off, he flees the presence of God and goes into a land of wandering and God waits and waits and Cain has children and all of a sudden this DNA of death starts multiplying in the earth. And it multiplies and the culture of godlessness is so great. Everybody is rejecting the upper story. Everybody is rejecting the reason why they were created and God's heart becomes sad and pain. And so God says, we're going to, we, this, is, this is bad, and we're, we're reproducing evil. And so God judges the earth. He wipes everybody out except for one family. Noah, who is, it says, Noah walked with God. There was one guy that had said yes to the upper story, that whatever everybody else was doing, he was going to walk with God. And it says that he found grace with God. And then after, uh, after Noah, we got, we, surely, surely the world will become better now because we just got this one guy that walks with God and he's going to teach his kids and they'll teach their kids. And uh, nope, nope, same thing happens. Wickedness starts reproducing again. So much so that there is a tower called Babel, which means confusion. The very darkness and chaos that was on the earth before God created anything is there again. The, the earth is dark. The earth is chaotic again. And God has to come down. And man is wanting to make a name for himself. Instead of spreading out over the earth and multiplying, they all want to stay together and make a name for themselves. And they're building this tower into the heavens so they can be God. And God once again brings judgment. We're going to find out next week what happens from there. But point four today is what did God do in response to Adam and Eve's sin? You like the apple? That, that represents their sin. What did God do? He made a promise. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, 
singular will crush your head and you will strike his heel. One is coming. God says to the, uh, the one behind the serpent who will remove your authority, your head, the head, the authority you've gained over mankind. He is coming and in the process he will be hurt, but he will remove, he will crush all of your authority. Luke 24, 27, Jesus says this, and beginning, or I'm sorry, Luke says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Adam and Eve's sin was not a surprise to God. God foreknew that they would sin. God foreknew. It doesn't mean they weren't free. They were free, but he foreknew the, the bad choice they were make. And he created anyway because he had a bigger plan than just creation. From the very beginning, before the beginning, the Bible says, Revelation 13, 8, Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross before the world began. It was always the plan. Redemption was always the plan. God's heart to walk with us and give us his DNA was always in the plan. It is just being played out. It is being lived out. Redemption was always part of the story. Redemption was the picture to us of how committed God is to us walking with him in delight and sharing his DNA. Folks, the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden, for God, that tree was always the cross. It always represented the cross. That he was going to die on that cross. And when people came to Jesus, to that sacrifice that was made, he would give them eternal life. This was always the plan. It was always in God's heart. This is, this is one story we're going to find out. The early chapters talk about the promise of redemption. And then we're going to get to the law where it is preparation for redemption. The law exposes that we can't keep the law. It exposes how sinful. It prepared the human race for redemption. Jesus coming to this earth was redemption revealed. And then finally, we're going to have redemption applied, which is what we're living in today. Do you know how blessed we are to live at the time that we are living. This is, it is absolutely amazing that God chose you and I to live in this hour. We, we know, we can know the whole story. We, it is so easy to become a success today, to embrace what God has brought about in the history of time. So that brings us to our final question. <coughs> Oh boy, I forgot one verse. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 
So what God does, he doesn't just forgive sinners. He's creating a new race. If anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. They get new DNA. They become partakers. Second Peter 1, of, by the promises of God, they become partakers of the divine nature. We get life DNA. We get the DNA of eternal life. We get it now. We start walking with God now. This is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they might know you, and the word is intimately, that they might know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This DNA that we get is available today for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Nothing can be truer than this, folks. That if you reject the upper story, if you reject God's purpose for creating you again and again and again, eventually you will perish in a place called hell. There's nothing nothing more true than that. And you can be offended that God created you and how can God demand that I fulfill his purpose or he will eventually, it says, either destroy, perish, consume you in hell eventually. The other word that it's used is death, that there's this, a second death. And why would God ever do that? Well, he's God, folks. He created for his own purpose. If you don't want that purpose, he's going to ask you again and again and again and again because he loves you. He created you for himself. But if you say no, 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 eventually you will perish. That's just just part of the story. All right, point five. So what is God doing today? He's looking for us. See, in, in sin is this shame that makes us hide. You don't, you don't even have to try to hide. You just, it, it, it makes you want to hide. It makes you want to not disclose. So Adam and Eve, not only do they get in the bushes so they're hiding from God, as if you could hide from God, they've also got fig leaves on and they're hiding from each other. They are, they are living behind walls. And God says, where are you? Where are you? Part of God's redemption involves us owning that we are lost, owning that we are hiding. Where are you hiding? God's coming. He's not mad at you. He's looking for you. He loves you. He wants to redeem you. He came to seek and save that which is lost. Where are you hiding? Sometimes we're hiding in lust. Sometimes we're hiding in our anger. Sometimes we're hiding in self-pity. Sometimes we're hiding in our entertainment. Sometimes we're hiding in technology. Sometimes we're hiding in fashion. Sometimes we're hiding in materialism. Sometimes we're hiding in our job. Sometimes we're hiding in our position. There's so many hiding places, aren't there? (laughs) There are hiding places everywhere. There are hiding places that Adam and Eve never could have fathomed that we are hiding in today. Just keeping it busy, keeping it busy, afraid to be quiet because I don't know what to do with quiet. And in the quiet, God says, I love you. I know, I know everything that's going on with you. I know every fear. I know every shame. Come on out. Come on out. 
Do you know what God says to Adam and Eve? He says to them, I have made a skin for you. This is the first sacrifice in the Bible. An animal had to die. Probably a lamb had to die. And he said, I have this skin that I have made for you. Something had to die for you to have this skin. And all you need to do to be right with me now is take off those fig leaves that you made and put this skin on that I made. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he became sin, it says. He who knew no sin became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. He has made a a cloak for us called his righteousness. His gift to to the human race is right standing with God. He died on a cross so that we could get this Skin, And all we got to do is admit we've been hiding, repent, and accept the provision that he has made. And we become, miraculously, in an instant, right with God. We are right with God, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ did on our behalf. What is God doing today? He is desiring our intimate Fellowship. Listen closely to Revelation 3.20 because we read this one all the time. But I want you to hear it. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Revelation 3.20 is written to people that already are Christians. But they are not living in fellowship with God. They, they've, they've, t- they've taken care of heaven. I'll go to heaven. I'll be in God's home one day. But I, I, I'm more concerned about his home and what he's done for me. And I want his stuff. But I, I, I've been ignoring him. And Jesus is knocking at the door. And he's saying, guys... This isn't just about you. This is about me. This isn't just about you eating. This is about me eating. I created you for fellowship with me. This isn't how I meant for you to live. I meant for you to live in union with me. Jesus says, Father, make them one. Even as you and I are one, make them one in us. Bring, us, bring them into complete unity complete intimacy with the Godhead and with each other. Then the world will believe. Then the world will see the beauty of God in the church. He wants us to delight in him. We're back to Eden, folks. Eden means delight. Listen to Proverbs 8, 30 and 31. Then I, Jesus is uh, pictured as wisdom here. Then I was constantly at his side. This is about creation. I was the craftsman at his side, one version says. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in mankind. 
God likes you. He delights in you. You were created for fellowship with him. John Piper says this, Christ is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And John Piper said, that's good stuff, but it's not quite right. It would be better said this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. You were created for Eden. You and I were created for delight. There is a level of satisfaction and delight in God that we have not yet reached. And he's inviting us into that as a church. And all of the earthly delights, all of the lesser pleasures, that many of them are legitimate and we can see the goodness of God that we enjoy eating and we enjoy golfing and we enjoy this. But the enemy would try to come and use any one of them to hook us and make us try to milk delight out of something that is created. Out of our marriage. She, if she was just a better wife, I'd be happy. Wrong. Wrong. She wasn't created to be your greatest delight, Jesus is. You weren't created to try to suck delight from your spouse. You're supposed to bring delight to your spouse because you found it in Jesus. Isn't God good? Okay, let's, let's close our eyes, bow our heads for just a moment. I got two groups I'm going to pray for and we'll be done. If you are here today and you've been in this whole service and you don't have an assurance in your heart that your sins are forgiven, you don't know, you don't know that if you died, you would go to heaven. You don't know that you have answered the upper call to walk with God and to share his DNA. Here's the good news. God loves you. God is patient with you. Jesus does not just knock on the heart of the church. Jesus knocks on the heart of all humanity. The Holy Spirit is specifically in the world to to knock, to invite people into the purpose for which they were created. And if that's you today, and you want to repent, and you want to receive that eternal DNA, by which you and God live forever. If that is you, and I've, the reason why I've got our heads bowed, this is between you and God, but I want to pray for you because somebody helped me pray it. And it's really awkward. If you don't know how to pray or you haven't done this before, how do you make that connection? I will help you do that. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand. God bless you and that hand. God bless you. You could put that down. I'm up in the balcony now. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you. I'm over on this side. Any other hands? Okay. I don't want to miss anybody. If you, if you still want to do it, you want to, you want to pray, you are ready, that your heart's pounding. Um, 
raise your hand right now. Let's do this thing. God is, God, I see that hand. God bless you. See, Jesus was waiting for you. Jesus was waiting just for you. If you raise your hand, would you mind just putting your hand on your heart right now and praying something like this? Jesus, I hear, by faith, I hear you knocking. The invisible God, somehow you got me into this building today and I just happen to be here. And I want to come out of hiding. I don't want to live in darkness and in sin and just for earthly things. I want to join you. And so I'm opening my door right now by faith. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Save me. I receive this gift of eternal life. I gladly eat of your tree that brings eternal life, the cross. Fill me and enable me to walk with you now all of my days, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we've got at our Welcome Center, we've got a book called The New Life. And it is really important that you find out about how to live in the new life. And there's lessons in there and it, it, help, it will help connect you to a mentor. Because you, you need somebody that's walked down that road. If you don't have one already, you need somebody that's walked down the road a little farther than you to help you Get into how you walk in this new life. So stop at the Welcome Center if you prayed that for the first time. Could we stand together? So here's the second call. It's 2 Corinthians 11.3. Here's what Paul says. He says to the Corinthians, I fear for you, lest as the serpent deceived Eve, you too be led astray from simple devotion to Christ. And if your heart is not been satisfied in Jesus and your faith has become very complicated and maybe you've taken on some distractions or thinking God doesn't like you or God's given up on you or, or some type of lie or that in some way it has become confusing in you what this even is. Let me make it very clear. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life Abundant, And that word life there is Zoe. It's God's life. That you would have life. And not just to fill you up, but to overflow. His plan was that we would carry his presence in an overflowing way. That we would, because he doesn't just love us. He loves everybody out there. Church, we need you. We need you to be more than full. We need you to be overflowing. And when I say we, I mean this world does. This world is desperate to have us overflowing. So if, if, if that's you, you've been distracted, or maybe you just want to again say, Jesus, I want, to, I want to become more satisfied in you than I ever have been. Would you just open your arms like this? Lord, we're in a dark time on this earth and in this nation. Many, many have lost track of the upper story. Many are very cynical as to whether there even is an upper story. Many are doing their own thing, going their own way, and quickly leading others to go away too. 
And somebody has to raise up a standard. Jesus, you said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that that the spirit of the Lord was going to raise up a standard. And somehow I think that standard is us. So Lord, you see our hearts and our open arms. Would you fill us? And would you overflow us? Would you untie complications the enemy has made in our minds and in our hearts and exactly how you feel about us and break every lie that is in this place? Especially the lie that you have already bit on sin. You've already been hooked. You've been pulled into darkness that it's too late for you. I break that lie right now. It is not too late. It was not... It was not too late for Cain just because he had killed Abel. God, the reason why God preserved him, it was not too late to come back and say, I'm sorry, I want to walk with you. God has not given up on you. Do not go into rejection, please. And then, Lord, I just pray for this, this satisfaction. I pray that we would drink deeply of you. I pray that... We would take time to savor beauty every day. Every time we see beauty, that we would follow that beam up and say, God, who are you that this sunset is that beautiful? Who are you that that person was that kind? Who are you that that rose was so fragrant? Who is the beauty behind all beauty? Open our hearts up to joy, the joy of being in your presence. Please, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.